Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 49 of Hack to Start. This episode features Phil Freo, the product and engineering lead at Close.io. Tyler and I want to invite Phil onto the show to share his insights and experience as an entrepreneur and full-stack developer. Phil's been developing and building websites since he was a teenager. He's developed front and back ends of several products for companies like Yahoo and Google. This is going to be an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Phil. Thanks for being on the show today. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. Honored to be here. So let's start off by getting to know a bit about yourself. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? Well, I grew up in Florida. I uh, was there all the way through college at the University of Florida. Uh, from even a really young age, I was pretty fascinated with both entrepreneurship and technology. Uh, I think I was doing lemonade stands as soon as I was old enough. Um, a funny story, uh, I was in grade school, probably like maybe third grade or second grade, and these, uh, these sour candies called Warheads were really popular at the time. And my parents would buy them in bulk for me at, at Costco or something, and then at school I would sell them for 25 or 50 cents each, which was way more than they, yeah. you know, they cost. And uh, my, <laughs> I had to stop eventually, though, because uh, the parents in the, of my classmates started calling the teacher to ask them where their kids' lunch money was going, and <laughs> I got in trouble. <laughs> That's hilarious. So. Did Warheads ever become unpopular? Like, what ha- when did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen them in a while. <laughs> We're going to have to go stop by our local corner store and pick some up. Yeah. Um, but I, I also started getting into computers in grade school as well. I learned how to program uh, in BASIC with another friend in school who he knew a little bit more than me and kind of helped me in the, in the beginning. And then we just kind of worked on some, some uh, different little computer programming projects in BASIC. And overall, I just got hooked on it. Um, I, 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 t- I taught myself Visual BASIC and then eventually got more into the, the web side of things and wanting to make web pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I taught myself HTML using front page at first, which is like a, a visual web page editor that was popular from Microsoft at the time. And then at the beginning of high school, I got into serious web programming and I started doing freelance web development as kind of my first job in ninth grade. So you had the opportunity to intern at Yahoo and at Google. What were those experiences like? Uh, they were great. Uh, I, you know, the, the Yahoo internship was the first one and it, it kind of came out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it, but I got a call uh, from a recruiter during, I think, towards the end of my freshman year at college. And I don't think she realized that I was still in school because my resume was online and it had a decent amount of web development experience at that point. Uh, but I told her, you know, that I was still in school and she 
connected me with the internship program. And so I, I basically, I interviewed for an internship and I got it. And so that summer I, I, I didn't know anyone in Silicon Valley, but I kind of moved out there for the summer and, uh, I got to know Silicon Valley and I got to know Yahoo and, uh, and then, you know, next summer was Google, but, uh, overall those, the companies were kind of really great places to work. They have a lot of perks. It was a lot of fun. Um, but probably the biggest experience, the, the biggest benefit was just really understanding and, and kind of being exposed to Silicon Valley and what it was like and getting to meet a lot of really great people. Uh, I met a lot of other interns at, at both companies and then just some other people that were kind of younger in the area that I ended up staying in touch with. And some of those people, uh, I, I still know today and, uh, a couple of them are, I actually, a couple of the people that I actually work with at Close.io, I met back during those internship years, um, so yeah, I think overall just just getting a feel for what Silicon Valley was like and, and coming out here. So for those looking to find their first internship, would you recommend that they would go to a larger organization like the Yahoo's, the Google's, the Facebook versus joining more like a smaller company, um, say like a hundred or less? I think both could be good options. Um, I mean, my advice overall would just be not to be afraid of of applying to any particular thing. I think before I got the the call, I, I probably would have thought, oh, you know, I I'm not I'm probably not good enough to work at Yahoo or Google. But um, you know, just don't be afraid to apply is kind of one thing. But um, you know, being at a being at a big tech company, it has it has kind of a much more formalized internship program usually, and so you get to meet a lot of other interns and kind of really experience what it's like to be in kind of a major tech company. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good experience, but yeah, on the flip side, you know, being in a startup or a smaller company, you're, you're going to have a little bit more of an impact. And so overall it just depends kind of what you want to do long-term. Um, but for me, I, for me being at those two companies, uh, during my internships was kind of enough for me to know that it was, it was a lot of fun and it was great, but that I actually wanted to be more in the startup world. You then had your own freelance web development business before getting into startups. How did you transition from being an employee to a consultant, and how did you go about finding your own customers? I was doing this during school, so I was still at, uh, at the University of Florida, and I, you know, ever since basically from high school all the way through the end of college, I was just doing a lot of freelance web development, except when I was doing my internships. And uh, let's see how I got customers was was mostly word of mouth uh, and some SEO. Um, I was in the two cities in Florida that I that I grew up in and that I was at, at school for, uh, it was not too hard for me to get kind of ranked in the top one or two for like Jacksonville web design or Gainesville web design. So I was able to generate just general customer interest for just like local web design uh, people uh, from SEO. And then just once you start doing some consulting, it's not too hard to get some word of mouth generally. So I, I liked working for myself. I liked uh, being able to set my own hours and and make some money and uh, and then just kind of keep learning the web development space. That's awesome. That's really did, cool. Did your clients know that you were a student at the time or did you did you tell them? Most most of them did. I met, especially the local people, I, I often met them in person and it was fairly obvious. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't charging tons and tons of money. Um, but I also was, I, w- I was kind of slowly raising my rates over time. And so I, but I, by that point, I had a lot of uh, experience to show and a lot of a pretty good resume and portfolio. And so uh, they were generally happy to, to pay it. For sure. I always think that's super cool. So that's awesome. So you then moved to another startup called Quizlet. What was that experience like and what motivated you to join that team? 
Quizlet is an educational tools website that helps students study, uh, primarily for vocabulary type studying or anything that you can study flashcards with, basically. Uh, I, met, I met its founder, Andrew Sutherland, uh, a summer before I graduated and uh, when I was out in the Bay Area just for a conference. And we, we really hit it off. Uh, I, was, it was, I was impressed with the site, how nice it was and how large of an audience that it had. Uh, even back then, I think I think it had about a million visitors per month at that time, uh, and he he was a freshman or or about to be a freshman at MIT, and he had started this site a few years before when he was in high school, and kept growing it for three or four years, and then basically the traffic had doubled every year, and then he had joined up with a business partner, and they were looking to bring on their first engineer, and so when we hit it off, I started doing some projects with them, kind of on a freelance basis at first. Uh, while I was still in school, and I would take some trips out and, and meet up with them in person uh, a few times that year. And then eventually I graduated and accepted an offer to be their their product manager and lead developer. And so, yeah, it was a great experience. We worked on a ton of great improvements to the site. Uh, the team was really small at the time. I think, well, it was probably just Andrew and I and then one other person working full-time on Quizlet, and then there were a couple part-time people working at the time on it. And then over time, we the, the team grew up a little bit. We, we added um, some additional people and, and got some interns. And uh, yeah, we just worked on some really cool stuff, and the site itself kept growing in traffic. And uh, one of my favorite projects was we got to make a new study mode on the site called Speller, which... Uh, it actually combined text-to-speech audio and then pictures and then reading of text and typing of text and repetition to make a really fun and mm. useful way to, to learn vocabulary, uh, particularly like either language learning or just learning how to spell like SAT-type words. Pretty awesome. Yeah, overall, uh, it, was, it was a really great experience. I eventually left uh, to, to join the company that became Close.io, uh, but Quizlet's doing really well still. They're actually in the top 50 websites in the U.S. by traffic now during the school year, uh, and their team, I think, is over 20 people. Wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. So you're currently the lead product and, and engineering role at Close.io. Um, before we get into more about your role, so what is Close.io, and how did you create the opportunity to work there? Close.io is software that helps salespeople do their jobs better. It's, it's like a CRM, like Salesforce and others, uh, but it's actually focused on the things that salespeople really care about. Um, so some of those things are uh, reducing or eliminating manual data entry. So we try to track all of the data automatically. And just having the UI and all of the workflow focused around what the salesperson is doing as opposed to what the sales manager is doing. Um, so out of the box, it has built-in VoIP calling. Uh, so you can actually make calls through our software. And then your calls are tracked automatically. They can even be recorded. Uh, and we have really tight email integration as well. So most CRMs, the way that you get your emails logged in the, in the CRM for your coworkers to see is that you would like forward it to some special address or some other kind of complicated way to do it. We have a, an email sync where you hook it up to your email account and it automatically captures any email sent or received that's relevant to a specific uh, lead or company in the system. So overall, we're, we're just trying to make the best tool for inside sales teams, teams that are doing uh, primarily sales from calls or emails Yeah, on the market. Cool. And, and how did you end up uh, you know, syncing up with the team there? You kind of mentioned that towards the end of Quizlet, you ended up joining the company that would go on to kind of create the product. How did that unfold? Yeah. So the company has a little bit of a long history. Um, it actually started at, in the nonprofit space. 
Um, I mentioned I met I met a couple of those guys that ended up starting this company back when I was an intern, and we kept in touch. And then uh, they were starting uh, a company that, that was going through Y Combinator uh, called Swipe Good, and it was like a keep the change type program that rounded up mm-hmm. your transactions to the next dollar and gave that money to charity uh, at the end of the month. And then that was going well for a while, and um, they, I thought about joining them from the very beginning, but decided I really wanted to stay at Quizlet. Um, but then over time, that their that swipe good idea stopped, kind of continuing to grow as fast. And so they had this other idea for Elastic Sales, which was the idea is an on-demand sales force. So and and basically, this is the time I I heard this idea and I got really excited about it. I saw I saw the vision of how this could be a really big company, and I just I liked the idea of joining something and, and starting it kind of from from the beginning and, mm-hmm. and growing. Growing a big business from nothing, and so we, I joined then, and you know the idea was we were going to have a bunch of salespeople, and they were going to be well trained, and then if you were an engineer, if you had if you had a startup, let's say you had a SaaS product, but you needed salespeople and and didn't kind of know how to grow a sales team yourself, or you just needed some extra capacity on the sales side, we would actually become that capacity for you, almost like an AWS for sales, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I I came on board. Uh, because I, like I said, I knew some of those guys from from my internship days and got to and kept in touch with them, and uh, they, you know, they knew I was good at, at web development and certain things, and and so I came on board to help make software to make our salespeople that we were hiring more efficient, and so kind of a long story, but essentially we we made up we made some really good software to help our own salespeople become much better than uh, they would have been otherwise, and so our. We had all of these customers for our services business over time where we were doing sales for them, but then they would come into our office and they would see kind of how our salespeople were doing sales and that they were using some some custom software that we had built in-house. And they basically, many of our customers wanted our software. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so over time, we, we started focusing on making the internal software that we had built into a productized version. And so we started... You know, it was a new project internally, and we called it Close.io. And uh, over time, this became a, a much more polished product, and our sales team switched over to this version of it. And about uh, two and a half years ago, we decided to launch it. And from that point, from the launch, uh, we had a couple of press articles, and people just started being really interested in it, people that we didn't know. Uh, so from the first month, we had people buying it that just found out about us online and uh, essentially grew, uh, was growing double digits every month in percentage of MRR growth. And we decided, you know what, this is a really, this is the big opportunity. And so we, uh, we then kind of scaled down our services business and really decided to focus on Close.io. So th- that's kind of how we got to where we are now, which is we have a uh, eight full-time team working on Close.io, and all, we are not doing the services business anymore. We're just we're just working on the product, and we are uh, we're profitable and doing doing really well, still growing really fast, and, and having a good time. And um, I don't know if I answered your original question very well, but basically, uh, it's been yeah, it's been really great to just build up Close.io from the ground up and, and see it turn in from a, a $0 a month business into a, a pretty healthy, uh, substantial, fast-growing uh, SaaS B2B business. So as a full-stack developer, you're working on both sides of the product. What does a typical day look like for you? What are some of the things you uh, tend to focus on? Yeah, so I, I'm on a team uh, with, with a couple other full-time engineers. Uh, I personally am focusing uh, on the product side 
as well as the development side, which looks it looks like a few different things. So, uh, kind of keeping track of roadmap and uh, figuring out what are the ways we can improve the product uh, that would be the most effective and and have the biggest impact. Uh, I'm also I, I'm primarily doing front end development and and the UI work. So. Um, just kind of making the product look nicer, uh, implementing the UI for new features, uh, occasionally also doing um, some back-end work in Python as well, and uh, just just working with the, the other uh, people on the engineering team and just uh, trying to create the best product that we can. Um, so a typical day would, would look like uh, probably fixing a bug, uh, probably working on Often we have like some big new features we're working on, and so I'm I'm usually like working on that coding, as well as working with the other developers to figure out like what's blocking them, maybe like specking out what are the things that we need to do to move forward, uh, things like that. That's awesome. And so you're also a pretty active uh, blogger, and you, you blog about a lot of the developments that you've sort of made uh, from from that UI product sort of standpoint. Um, and one of the most recent ones that that you wrote about was sort of like the the, you know, the last 20% before shipping when, how do you know when something is actually done versus what, you know, really makes it done? Um, you know, can you share some of your thoughts on that and some of the experiences you've learned from, from the different releases you guys have done at Close.io? Definitely. Um, and a, a lot of this is stuff I actually also picked up at Quizlet. Um, basically, whenever you're working on a feature as an engineer, as soon as it's working on your screen, there's this, there's this sudden urge that it's done and that you, and you just want to ship it. And um, that urge is that urge is healthy, uh, and it's great, and it's what makes people ship things. And and there's really good reasons to to kind of want to ship something as soon as you can. But what pe- there's a lot of details that people forget about that uh, that are really important. So um, on the on the technical side, some of those things are like, is it actually fast? Like you don't want to ship a feature into production used into a system that's used by thousands of people that suddenly slows down that system or even if that feature is slow. So so just because it works on your screen doesn't mean it's fast. And then, you know, like is it actually written in a maintainable way? Can your can your coworkers uh, either right away or you know a year later, two years later, or even yourself a few months later, can you actually remember how all the details of it worked? Is it mm-hmm. well documented uh, in the code? Is it you know is it maintainable essentially? Um, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of other like edge cases that you have to think about. So uh, if you're working on a new feature, especially there's like an onboarding state or a um, like a blank state. Like people will think about, oh, this is what the feature lo- this is how the feature works and what it looks like when you have uh, lots of data in it already. But what about when you have no data? What about if you're the first time you're ever seeing the screen? Like what does it look like then? Um, does somebody understand how to start out using it? Uh, and then just kind of overall, is it is it as high, is the UI as high quality and, and consistent and polished as the rest of your application? Ideally, it's it's kind of better than the rest of your application if you're always wanting to make everything move forward. And then, uh, yeah, there's 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 lots of other little details like that, um, documentation and and just communicating to the users any any changes that are relevant, um, all that stuff. So all that stuff can take a lot of time. So I, I like to I like to say, you know, if if you think of features. Is uh, is eighty percent done? You're probably you're probably like maybe you know forty percent done or something. Cool. And, and how do you strike the balance between that? Is that something that just comes with experience, or is it you know like uh, just just ship it and then fix it as it breaks? Or <laughs> what's your advice on that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there is there is a balance that does need to be be struck because um, the other the other half of it, and I should probably write a blog post about that. Is is basically you do need to ship. 
Uh, and so you, you could you could keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking forever, um, and that's not going to get you or your business anywhere. So I, I think the balance is just make sure you've actually thought about all the different areas, or or at least the main areas. So that's why that's one of the reasons in, in that blog post that it's actually just a, a quick checklist. So you can just go down and, and just make sure. Oh, you know, in all of my excitement, I actually forgot this major important detail. Like we need, you know, it's changing the API in this way. And we need to actually change the API documentation or else developers will be confused or, or something like that. Um, so I think the, the balance is if it's something that's, that's not going to hurt, like if you're adding a new feature and it's not going to hurt uh, anything existing, then, then ship it early, even when it's not 100% done, and, and start getting feedback on it. But, uh, but yeah, the flip side is, just like, is, is to really just stop and think before you ship something as soon as it's kind of working on your box. I'm not sure if you can speak to this or or what level you can speak to it, but um, I know Crunchbase shows that that Close.io has raised some money. Um, so how has this affected growth, scale, and the development from from your point of view? Yeah, good question. Um, so actually, our mo- most all of the money that we raised was back way before Close.io, back w- back in the the swipe good days, even before Elastic Sales, and uh, there, there was there was a little bit of uh, a fundraising later. Um, but almost all of it was in the the kind of early days of swipe good mm-hmm. and so essentially at this point we're we're much more on the self-funded track than the than the vc track um so we you know we're profitable and and are kind of funding additional investments in the company from our own from our own uh revenues and so we i don't know uh we haven't you know i, I think there's always a possibility that we go down the the vc track in the future but uh, for now, that's that's kind of not where our focus is. Our focus is just growing the business based on uh, our own our own customers. That's awesome. It's it's always great to hear that people are sort of bootstrapping their own way. So congrats uh, for the hard work that that takes for you guys to be able to do that. Yeah, and I, I guess kind of relating to that that uh, TechCrunch article that you mentioned, uh, I think the one the one little tip I won't go into too much detail, but the one tip is that whenever you raise money, um, part part of kind of one benefit is that you can kind of control whenever the press comes out about that money. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't necessarily have to announce uh, raising money right when it happens. You can, you can always wait if it's, a little, if it's helpful to announce that later. Uh, and in our case, in our case uh, that we announced that at, at a point where we wanted to get additional uh, eyeballs onto Close.io. That's awesome. So I was going to ask if, uh, I mean, I guess you mentioned er- earlier that your initial customers, you know, kind of came out of the last uh, service-based business. But how did you guys actually grow beyond that 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 first sort of client set? How did you guys get the first people who didn't know you or those extra set of eyeballs, as you just mentioned? Uh, was it was it just through press, or what were some of the other tactics you guys used? Yeah, to be honest, we got we got some interest from our existing customers, and, and that was definitely a part of it. Um, but most, I would say, it wasn't the majority of our first customers. Um, we got a little bit of press, which was kind of enough to get our name out there. Um, we had we had become somewhat of thought leaders in sales in Silicon Valley just because of our services business that we already had. Um, but to be honest, what we did was we started doing a lot of content marketing, uh, especially today. If you go onto the Close.io blog, you'll see a lot of content uh, blog posts that we write every single week mm-hmm. that. Uh, it basically teaches people how to do sales better. Um, so, you know, one of the strategies is to just out-teach your competitors. And if if we can help you become a better salesperson even before you use our product, you know that you're going to be that much better of a salesperson with our product. And so, part of part of having all that content 
is uh, content gets shared and, and people will kind of flock to content even before they're looking for a product. And uh, we kind of get them into our drip email systems and um, they kind of get to know us. And over time, uh, whenever it's a good fit, then they can, they'll try out the product as well. Um, uh, you know, we're posting on Quora has been pretty helpful, or at least especially was in the early days. Um, and content marketing, uh, just blog posts, and then a drip email course where we give away kind of free sales advice. Those have all been really useful things. And of course, today at this point, word of mouth is a big part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the past three years of, of not only building Close.io, but also sort of working on, on you know, startups in general, products in general? Oh, that's a big question. Um, you know, I think overall, one, one thing is just that uh, if you build a really high quality product that that really solves people's needs, then you're you're going to be okay generally. Uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's a lot of really bad software, for example, and if you can if you can just do if you can just solve people's problems, the rest becomes a lot easier. And then part of part of it, I think, is just being able to stick with it longer. Uh, we we were able to build up Close.io partially because we had the revenue from that services business, and we were. We also we had a sort of an unfair competitive advantage because we were we learned a lot more about sales than anyone else because we were doing so much sales ourselves um, and we we were in the same room as people that essentially could have been our customers, um, but so just finding finding what kind of unfair competitive advantages you have where you just you know something that other people don't know and you're able to help them or help people faster because of that uh, I think you can get really far from that. And uh, and just and just making really high quality products, just kind of, I think that's kind of a lot of what it comes back to. That's awesome. It's all great advice. Um, so, what's next for Close.io in uh, 2015? I think we are really excited about a bunch of things. We have some really cool stuff on the product side coming. Uh, right now, we're releasing uh, in, a new inbox system, which is like a unified sales inbox of all of your incoming emails and calls and everything and and kind of see you get to deal with your email and the context of how it affects your sales pipeline uh, that's kind of right now on the product side uh, overall as a company we are really focusing on growing the team this year uh, so we started the year with six people and we're at eight today and hoping to be at 10 very soon cool so people should email you <laughs> yeah we, we're looking for some engineers and uh, as well as support people especially cool that's great so where do you see the biggest opportunities for entrepreneurs? And are there any technologies or industries that really interest you right now? I think the SaaS B2B space is really interesting because, you know, as, as, a, as a business, uh, as a B2B business, uh, even just as kind of a, a medium-sized business, I guess you would call it, we have so many problems every single day where we would love to throw money at those problems. Uh, and, you know, whenever whenever you're... Like, for example, at Quizlet, Quizlet was awesome, and we got to help millions of students study, which was kind of a really great cause for a different reason. But monetizing, monetizing um, kind of consumers, you have to just have so many of them. And then even then, in, in many cases, they don't, you know, they're not likely to pay. Whereas in B2B, in SaaS especially, uh, the, there are all these people out there that have all these problems and they would love if they could spend a few bucks a month to solve those problems. And so just identifying opportunities like that, uh, I, I feel like you can make a, a pretty sustainable business uh, much easier than a lot of the other business models out there. That's that's at least from my own experience of just seeing us be able to do it with Close.io. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have to have something that is, is better than what else is out there. But uh, overall, just the fact that 
the fact that businesses are willing to spend money is really useful. What apps, books, devices, or tools are you obsessed with right now? Hmm. Uh, well, I just bought an Apple Watch. Uh, I just ordered one. I, I haven't awesome. got it yet. Oh, okay. so I, I, I hope that I'll be obsessed with it, but we'll see. Uh, maybe ask me again in a few weeks. But um, mm-hmm. let's see. There's. I'm trying to think of some of the non-obvious things because I hear you know I hear a lot of people kind of repeating the same apps. Uh, one one app that that probably not a lot of people know about is an app called Balanced, and I it's an I have it on my iPhone. I'm not sure if they have it on Android, but uh, basically you can set up just different reminders for yourself of things. Not things that are due at a certain time. It's not a to-do list. It's more like things that you just want to have in your life, or, or things that you want to do in your life. Um, it could like could be catch up with an old friend. That's one of mine. Uh, where I don't need to do this on a certain day, but I do want to do it once a week or once every two weeks. And so I've got a bunch of things like that where uh, it kind of just reminds me to keep my life in balance and to remember the things that I'm not working on every single day, but that I want to be working on or just doing every so often, like take my wife somewhere fun, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, read a book, um, things like that. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of one of my kind of favorite, not popular apps. Um, So on top of the apps, do you have any books that you would recommend to other, you know, product managers or um, engineers? Hmm. Um, I think just overall in the startup world, uh, PayPal Wars is a really awesome book. Yeah. If you if you've never read that, just kind of talking about the, the startup hustle uh, and and what it really can take to succeed. Um, one book I read not too long ago that I would recommend. It's kind of similar to the the thing I was mentioning earlier about onboarding. Is is just a, uh, the book uh, User Onboarding uh, by Samuel Hulick. Uh, I would definitely recommend that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That yeah, that's awesome. It's a great it's a great read. Um, so either, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by that you think others should know about? Uh, I think, you know, personal mottos, just, you know, work hard, treat people really well. Um, don't forget that you're working with people and that people matter. Um, investing in your network kind of without expecting to kind of get something from that, Mm -hmm. uh, at least right away can be, can definitely pay off and, and lead to really great things uh with startups i think just keeping with it uh, being being a cockroach just lasting the longest uh i think a lot of a lot of ideas they're just obvious and it's just a question of who can execute the best and last the longest and and uh and not give up essentially yeah absolutely cool well we really appreciate your time uh today phil thanks so much for being on the show cool thanks for having me it was an honor well that's about it for this episode of hack to start you can find all the important links beneath the show be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.